On the Empire Podcast this week, we're back, back, back for the first part of the year where we'll be tackling Reserve Avengers, Delivery Man and the Railway Man and Oscar BAFTA frontrunner 12 Years a Slave. We'll also be talking to the director and star of that film, Steve McQueen and Chiwetel Ejiofor. All that and more on the only movie podcast that thinks that not only is Saving Mr Banks a British film, but so is Blue is the Warmest Colour and Wadiya. Okay, they're probably not. But anyway, hello, Pod. I am Hel Nohara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace, which is the all-in-one platform that makes it very fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off the first purchase of new accounts, go to squarespace.com slash empire and use the offer code EMPIRE1. That offer code again, empire number one. All right, well, it's the first podcast of 2014, and to celebrate this momentous occasion, I've come over all Yule Brunner and assembled a magnificent seven of knowledgeable, witty, and learned colleagues to talk with me over the next hour or so. Four of them dropped out, so I've only got three left. Uh, first up is our art house guru, Phil DeSemlin, whose New Year's resolution was to learn Polish so he can enjoy the Three Colours trilogy as it was really meant to be seen. How's that working? Not well, Helen. Really? I learned Polish, but it turns out they're in French. Oh, no. <laughs> no. That is a bit of a kick in the teeth. It is, rather. Um, then we've got Ali Plum, whose New Year's resolution is to grow his beard back after shaving it back to a moustache for a fancy dress party and scaring everyone he's seen since. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, my worry is that I'm going to be interviewing Robert De Niro, name drop, and Sliced Alone, name drop, <sighs> whilst sporting this pederast's tash <laughs> or as I call it pedatash and it's a catastrophe and I don't know what to do with myself I swear they'll go okay not this guy you you, you leave now <laughs> and last but by no means least we have Nick DeSemlin whose New Year's resolution was to give up his Paul Giamatti impression how's that going? Uh, not great Alan <laughs> not great what about your Nick Cage impersonation? Uh, not great Alan <laughs> Now, keen-eared listeners may be able to tell a difference between those two. I can't. Between what two? Those two impressions. What impressions? <gasps> oh. Oh, my I- God, you mean Giamatti <laughs> and Nicolas Cage are actually here? Yeah, they're, they're just under the table. Incidentally, this week it was Nick Cage's 50th birthday. Yay. Hooray. for Nick Happy Cage. Happy birthday to Mr Cage. This sounds like an insult, but I didn't realise he was that young. Ow. It does sound like an insult. Yeah. That is an insult. He's immortal, isn't he? Yes, yeah, what I thought. Like yeah. he's been around since you know the vampire days, which I think were the twelve hundreds. Mm. Mm. So you know. Anyway, well done, Nick. There is actually photographic evidence that he was around in the nineteenth century. So hey, uh, but we love him. However long he's lived, uh, let's move on, shall we? To questions which you've been sending in via the usual channels. Uh, first up from at Sarah Joe Smiley. Um, if you could watch any film with the very first audience when it was released. What would it be and why? Well, mine would obviously be the Lumiere brothers. The train <laughs> arriving at the station. Oh, that was mine. Yes. That was because, mine. oh, unlucky. Yeah. Great mind. I'd go back just before that. you. Would you? What, to <laughs> the <laughs> screening. Or, yeah, or for the trailer. I go to the 5pm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but this is the first. There was no 5pm. I'm at the 4pm, so screw you. Mm. Anyway, um, it's, uh, yeah, I think that would be amazing. Because obviously if you saw Martin Scorsese's Hugo. version of it in Hugo, he subscribes to the whole notion that this, this early audience of film goes was so stunned by what they were seeing, this, this early action film, that they thought the train was going to crash through the proscenium and kill them all. Yeah. If they all ran out screaming, I guess they would be pick a mix going. I would take a wind machine back and just set that off just when the thing's coming to really freak everyone out. Oh, I like it. Oh, just wow. Like, oh. I mean, a wind machine would also be a pretty new concept, so that would freak them out. <laughs> I, I was just wondering what would the teaser trailer look like for the train arriving at the station? Yeah, because it's... Really... Just the buying the tickets. 
for the train. See someone turn to the camera buying a ticket and winking. <laughs> that would be an amazing teaser trailer. I yeah. like Slowly pulling out of the station in 1802. Whatever. <laughs> 1802? <laughs> oh, my knowledge of history. <laughs> it could be one of those ones where the teaser trailer is actually the whole film. That was, that was the joke I was mainly going for, but it was much better what you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> what about those crazy William Castle days of yes. the tingler? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, yeah. have minded the idea of just being electrocuted at a mysterious point in the film to enhance the enjoyment. <laughs> You, you're, you've got a really twisted sense of what you would have liked to have seen first. First, you would have been stealing people's abandoned pick and mix as they ran from the screen, while Nick would have been trying to freak them out further with a wind machine. And now you're looking forward to getting electrocuted. It sounds it, like you're describing a condom advert. <laughs> <laughs> anything, anything that felt feels like a real event, I guess. Yeah. I, I remember seeing Science of the Lambs at the cinema and, and what, what a sort of sense of trepidation. And, and what it would have been like to see Psycho, you know, when Hitchcock said, you can't leave, Psycho, you can't go in yeah. after the film starts. Psycho was one of my answers. I think yeah. that would be a really interesting one to see first time around. And obviously go back to um, Congo's release to see that in the Jaws Cross Cinema in all its glory. Jaws, it's got to be Jaws, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of, it, it invented the summer blockbuster. And you would have got, they, they had sort of shark-themed ice cream at the time, vanilla and a sharkalette. Amazing. And Jawsberry, I think. I haven't got that wrong. Did you just make that up? No, no, this is a real thing they did at the time. Wow. To promote it. You, you might not realise, but Jaws is quite um, quite happy to do the tie-in promotional goodies. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit. Just a tad. Just a tad. Just a smidge. Uh, mine would have been Jurassic, Jurassic Park! Uh, I also, I, I think, well, I think, I'm not sure, we might be talking about twists later, but for me, the answer to this question is the super twist. Like when you, if you are the one person who knows and you can't tell your friends, but you can kind of lord it over them, that's what you want. You want to watch The Sixth Sense for the first time before anyone else. Empire Strikes Back. That's the one I'd love to see with the very first audience anywhere to see that movie and, and see if there were gasps. That twist is so defunct now. I mean, I can't think of a defuncter twist. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. To see that for the first time and know that you have that over your friends. Those old platform release films. Was The Exorcist one in the 70s when they, you know, opened small godfather as well yeah you're one of the first couple of screens in new york before it went rolled out that would have been pretty cool to come out of a film and think wow i mean we're pretty lucky because we do see these things nowadays we see them sort of first and early and, and we get this we still get this hit quite fre- frequently which i think it's harder for most people to do because it was much easier to be surprised in a sort of pre-internet age where you didn't have everybody on twitter going omg gravity zomg i was pretty surprised by the twist in congo i'll tell you <laughs> Well, there we have it, you see. The monkey talked. What? Oh, yeah. Isn't the other thing that we are releasing so many movies now? Like, every week, there'll be at least five. I think even as far far back as the very early 90s, you wouldn't get five a week. You'd get two, maybe three. Mm. Uh, And, you know, we're talking about independent releases and small releases and stuff like that. It's just, it's we're so crowded now and people wonder, oh, is the business in decline? And I'm sure part of it is because there are just too many people at the plate. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is a much bigger question, which we actually should discuss at some other time. But let's move on to the next question in the meantime. At Darren Writer asks, 2013 had the way, way back. What will 2014's movie stealing Sam Rockwell performance be? I know what the 2016 one will be, will be his cameo (laughs) in World of Warcraft. Uh, where he turns up as a goblin, does a really awesome dance, you know, <laughs> does a you know pirouette on one. The foot. Goblin King dance. Yeah, he does a he does a Goblin oh. King dance, uh, or some such, and then rides away on a wag. I don't know. Maybe maybe I've got things uh, confused. There. I just watched the Way Way Back only a matter of days ago, 
and if you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. Um, he plays Sam Rockwell plays a water park. Uh, he doesn't run it, but he he kind of yeah, kind of manager. Yeah, and he's yeah. kind of doing oh, yeah. a bit of a Bill Murray mm. from Stripes, straight meatballs type type era thing. He's very good in it. He doesn't dance, as far as I can remember. He does very briefly dances. There's a dance, a dance. with the uh, the the employees of this water park. They have a boogie celebrating someone's birthday. I remember that now. Yep, he does dance. Take it all back. <laughs> Is he going to dance in uh, Poltergeist? I was wondering. Will there be a moment? I think early on in the film, you know, him playing Eric Bowen, he can be Eric Bowen, the infamous Eric Bowen, as he, uh, you know, he's happy. I don't understand why they've changed the name of the family. Because. Of a reason we don't know yet. Because Jim Bowen's going to make a cameo. That's Phil, right. you've got a list of Sam Rockwell movies coming out this year. Hit us with it. Nick, I think a list is probably putting it a bit strongly. I've got two. When you mentioned <laughs> one four. of them. There's four, aren't there? Well, yeah, I know. I've only written two of them down on my list. Okay. Um, but the one I wanted to talk about, and this is an interestingly sort of... <clears throat> I can't even say the word. either. <laughs> Specific question, but I like it. Um, Better Living Through Chemistry is one that, that, that kind of... Um, so is this the uh, film version of the Fatboy Slim album? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, he's going to be dancing throughout. Um, he oh, plays God. a... I don't know, he could be a straight man in this. I think he, he starts off as a straight as a straight man, like a sort of a, a, a pharmacist. And Olivia Wilde, by the sounds of things, is going to turn up and corrupt the hell out of him. Ooh. And this, he was not first necessarily first picked for the role. I think Jeremy Renner, who is a completely different sort of actor... Was ahead of him, and I think there was even an actor ahead of Jeremy Renner, and I think there were scheduling issues. Rockwell to the rescue, um, and it looks like it could be interesting, quirky. He was in that uh, Chuck Palahniuk adaptation, wasn't he? Choke. Maybe it would be a dark comedy along those lines. Oh, I didn't I, like Choke. I want to actually touch on that because Choke was, of course, directed by Clark Gregg. It was. Um, who is also directed and written and stars in a film called Trust Me, which is a, strictly a 2013 film, but it hasn't come out here yet, so there's a chance we'll see it this year. Um, and I think if we're talking about movie-stealing performances rather than movie-leading performances, that's probably based on pretty much nothing but the synopsis, my prediction, because Sam Rockwell plays a flamboyant agent there who basically steals all of Clark Gregg's um, you know, clients. I think I might be able to trump you. Oh, because I haven't even got a synopsis for this film. Okay. All I've got is his character name. Right. And a few other character names. <laughs> this, this is the film called Laggies with Kira Knightley and um, Chloe Grace Moretz. Sam Rockwell plays Craig. And I'm looking further down the cast list. There is a character called Wedding DJ. There's going to be <laughs> dancing, folks. That's very possible. That is possible. Yeah. Certainly a possibility. And Craig sounds like a party guy. Tell me who, what Laggies are. Um... Well, something uh, about the synopsis of that one was Kira Knightley being sort of stuck in permanent adolescence and hanging out with Chloe Grace Moretz. So I'm guessing it's kind of lagging behind, uh, something like that. Can we go back to Better Living Through Chemistry for a minute? Sure. Thanks. What, and if they don't use Fatboy Slim, they should use um, Sammy Sonic because they have obviously yes. chemistry. Yes, Carry but on. the thing is, he's a chemist and he's not happy with his life. So there's better living. So there could be better living, but through chemistry. I so, think it's and there'll be drugs. drugs. Naughty drugs. Naughty drugs. It, and also worth mentioning, this was one of the blacklist scripts. Yeah. But then so is Cop Out. So, geez, what does <laughs> Who that knows say? And um, this was an oddly specific question, but it was quite fun. So, uh, thanks right. for sending Thank that in, for Sam that. Rockwell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Darren Writer. Hmm, it does anagram to Sam Rockwell. It doesn't really. <laughs> okay, uh, at Ravisoda asks, what are your favourite 
twist-based films that hold up on multiple viewings. So things like The Prestige and Lucky Number 11. Lucky Number 11 does not hold up to multiple viewings. I know it's The Prestige because David, oh, just no. I like The Prestige. But the but the reveal at the end, the, the reveal is just so preposterous. Like, it is so preposterous. I enjoy that. I think that's fun. I would happily watch The Prestige again. More than Lucky Number 11. But I do have a fun fact... Can I hit you guys with a fun fact Please about do. Lucky Number Seven? Lucky Number Seven was Bruce Willis's last film where he had hair. Oh, that is according to. And Wikipedia. his hair fell out as a, as a result of this movie. <laughs> he read the reviews. I haven't seen it. Would you recommend it? No. The twist was so twisty that even after doing the Sixth Sense, so that was Lucky Number Six. This is Lucky Number Seven. His hair just fell out. He was so amazed by the twist. Mentioning the Sixth Sense. Yeah. Yes. I, that, I don't. I wouldn't see that again. Really? Knowing the twist. It's, it's, it's one because of those Because it films... feels like it changes the whole film and everything you see the film completely differently. That's why it's a two-watch film. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I've seen it twice. I should have oh, specified oh, that. Oh, okay, now <laughs> I know. I should have specified that. <laughs> anyway, there's so many Sam Rockwell films to see. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, it depends on the calibre of the film, doesn't it? Because in some cases, you know, we mentioned um, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Empire Strikes Back, particularly. Does it matter? doesn't matter at all, does it? Hmm. About the twist? No. In particular? I, I don't know why, but The Village popped into my head as a film that once... Now I've seen it once, and I know what happens, that's it, I'm done with that film. Well, it's a lot of that era of, um, of you know, signs, and, you know, I even say Unbreakable is probably the best of the most rewatchable of of that director whose name's... Shyamalan. Shyamalan. The Shamhammer. Uh, the Shamhammer's series of twisty films. I think Unbreakable is the most rewatchable in terms of what we're saying now, like you understand it I mean with signs once you know the thing that fixes it huh. you're just like oh come do you think so yes I think signs I this is probably going to be controversial but I think signs holds up better than for multiple viewings I think it's generally quite creepy what about and it isn't the... a twist in the sense that it, the, 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 you know what happens happens yeah and and the, and the twist is almost a sideline to, to the to, it's more of a character development than a plot development in a sense I don't think it's so much of a twist is it the end of that film it's no a, it's exactly a, they find a way to defeat these things like war of the worlds or any of those quite kind a tenuous of, way yeah, but it's, it's not a tw- it's not a twist it's at least twisty it has shamhammer's best cameo mm. who does he play in that uh, a guy in a car <laughs> come quite on a big role, come though, on guy it? in a car come it, on after a car crash ah, okay okay uh the uh other ones let's just uh list off the usual suspects shall we oh very good um so things like sword and green some movie called Citizen Kane, uh, I'd put in The Sting as the most rewatchable because it's about a, a, a twist is its thing, so mm. it, it works that way. Similar Ocean's Eleven on that s- score. All that kind of heisty yeah. thing, so let's let's put them to one side. Planet of the Apes, obviously, because it has achieved that transcendental, you know, classic sci-fi status that, that you, it makes you go, oh, oh, so that's what everyone's been referencing for the past, you know, 40 years. Uh, I think also here we've got to mention Clue. Uh, because <laughs> because I always do, uh, but not Mother by Death. Uh, and also, I would mention as one that doesn't work for me in a rewatching thing, it would be Shutter Island. Isn't mm. one. I remember watching that and going, and there's the reveal, and going, well, yeah. Mm. Well, mm. Am, am I the only one? I, I went, well. I really like that. Actually. I really like Shutter Island. Actually, no. no I'm, what I'm saying is, is that in terms of its twist. I don't go. Yeah, maybe. Oh. I, have, I haven't gone back and rewatched mm. it. I really, I really liked it when I saw it. Yeah. But maybe you're right because I haven't gone back and I haven't felt the need to get back to it. Buried is another one that now I know what happens. I don't want to watch that film again. I'm curious to watch it again and then make up my own mind. But I, I think I agree with you as it currently stands. It's not going to draw me back to the DVD. 
It's often quite fun rewatching films where somebody turns out to be the bad guy or or know something that they claim not to know or something like that. And just watching when they're really good and they can make it work on two levels, every single line, every single moment. I think that's really, really good fun. Iron Man 3, where Miguel Ferrer is in a shock <laughs> twist revealed to be a nefarious villain. I, I know what you're saying. I, I think in this, also Fight Club, watching them not mimic each other, but how they work together is yeah. a fascinating kind of yep. analysis. Of, and that totally stands up. Oh, totally. But then you have Fincher has to direct three films almost, and it's kind of a bit mind-moggling. Uh, Memento, likewise, just kind of... You watch it on one level, and you have to watch it through the actor's yep. level. How does the actor do the that? The game is very much like that. And, 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 and Memento. I, I was going to say, recently, I yeah. watched the game again recently, and that really stands up. But it's almost like the twist doesn't really affect the psychological trauma that the character yeah. goes through anyway. So it's still scary and it's still atmospheric and weird and moody and yeah. twisted. Um, like a fun fair, crazy fun fair ride. What about Vertigo? Should we mention Vertigo? Yes. Yeah. Because that is, I think people forget that it's that kind of film. Mm. And it's like you're saying, you have this, uh, you have this emotional connection and you, the story is thrilling and interesting enough in of itself. And then there's this extra layer, which is kind of on yeah, top of yeah. it rather than The Sixth Sense which dare I say is just that twist when you, it comes down to it you basically need if, it, if it's a twist that's layered enough in a film and a story and a plot and characters that are layered enough then you can watch it endlessly even if mm. even if it you know on first viewing was all about oh my goodness that was a big surprise yeah Hitchcock films often have twists and you yeah. watch them over and over and over again because they're just fun Rebecca I mean I know what the 39 example. steps are though I tend to forget but <laughs> you still watch the film um, No Way Out I love from, the, from that sort of 80s thriller era and that's got quite a cool twist yeah. um, but it's still pretty awesome I think alright um, now uh, just a sort of slightly seasonal question to finish off at Shane Bayless asks what was the best film you watched on TV during the holidays and I am going to widen this also what's the best thing everybody read during the holidays Ooh, Miss Congeniality 2 do you know what I watched that again the other night and Ron Swanson Ron freaking Swanson is the bad guy and I had completely forgotten that does he have a tash uh, he's kind of like a bit of a beard thing going on kind of goatee thing going on I discovered on um, Parks and Rec season 4's blooper reel and I kind of knew it already but Ron Swanson uses beard glue that's not real Tash <gasps> and it broke my heart and it's broken yours as well so I just wanted to excise it for myself I, I saw We're the Millers and I really liked him in that as well I can't yeah. remember his facial hair status in that but he was Mustache. My favourite thing about I think it's Tash. So, yeah. some, again, yeah. Tash. Fake yeah. Ta- another fake Tash. In my experience, Nick Offerman could do two things because Phil and I, you, we've both watched Kings of Summer, where he plays a very nice but not the best dad, as in like he doesn't connect emotionally with his with his son enough. He can do really nice guy kind of passive as he does in We're the Millers, or he can do stone hearted, ultra manly, ultra manly. That's right down with government character and it's I want to see him do other things because I think he's a great presence I just want to see him stretch himself a bit more mm. and interestingly he's married to the character Megan Mullally who plays Tammy in Parks and Rec yeah, that mm. would be his second ex-wife Tammy mm. as opposed to his first ex-wife Tammy or his mum who's also called Tammy yeah confusing really what was the question again you guys uh, know a lot film. about Ron Swanson best film watched during the holidays I also watched Cars 2 for the first time it was on Stop listing bad films. It was on. No, the, I only watched two films like on TV over the holidays, and I just you watched Cars too. Why not? What a Miss Congeniality oh, yeah, exactly. too. I wanted to bring it up because um, it has that thing where you have a foreign. <laughs> when you have an animation set in London, it's amazing how every part of London looks like Mayfair. They have this whole street chase that goes all the way through London. And it's over and over and over and over repeated Wile E. Coyote type backgrounds, and it's just all Mayfair. There's a spelling mistake in that film. 
Really? Or one of the road signs, something spelt in the American way. Oh, this is appalling. It actually, this is a pet hate of mine, especially kids' films where people come to London. All they ever, ever, ever feature are posh people. Genuinely. Garfield 2. Or Chimney Sweep. Yeah, or Cockneys. Uh, yeah, Cockneys and posh people, but nothing in between. Uh, what a Girl Wants, of course, that uh, that classic um, film. Is that with um, Colin Firth? Yes, that was with Colin Firth. I've watched You've that film. You've seen that, haven't you? Um, <laughs> uh, Van Wilder 2, The Rise of Taj. Fast and Furious 6. Fast and Furious 6. Honestly, it pisses me off yeah. beyond measure. People, there is a middle class in the UK. get. We must it. be represented. We must be represented. Nick, what did you see on TV? Well, I watched The Core, funny you should ask. <laughs> we, I'd never seen The Core, and uh, I had to get it off the skybox, to be honest. And uh, Aaron Eckhart was in doing a web chat yesterday. He seemed a little bit embarrassed. Someone asked about The Core. Yeah. It didn't seem like it was one of his... Uh, but he did say that as the cast is strong. Yeah, it is. he had fun filming it, I think, but perhaps isn't, you know... Yeah. He didn't like the purple space suits... No. Did he? No. And rightly so. I had to remind him of the scene in which he incinerates various pieces of fruit in a Pentagon briefing room to illustrate the science of the film, which is amazing. He sort of uses air, uh, sort of an air freshener spray and a lighter to completely melt a tangerine or something. Why not? What's that great line in the film? The Earth's core has stopped rotating. The Earth's core has stopped spinning, sir. How could we let this happen? <laughs> it's a um, question. Good film-wise, I watched Gone with the Wind for the first time. Ooh. All four hours of it. What did you think of my ancestress? She's not a very nice person. We haven't had this conversation yet. We haven't, I wanted, no. I wanted to talk to you about this when I got back. Ah, she's not very nice. She whips a horse till it dies. Yeah, she's a terrible person. She is yeah. a terrible person. Good. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, I, I'm glad... But she's a kind of... She's an anti-heroine, and we don't get very many of those yeah. in cinema. I've got a backup question. But, How else are you going to kill a horse? <laughs> oh... They shoot oh. horses, don't they? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, it was slightly. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was. It lived up to the legend. Um, one thing that slightly marred it was I was waiting the entire time for Clark Gable to say the the D word, and right at the end of the four hours, he says it. I was like, I'm sure he's going to say it in this scene, and he didn't. You know, <laughs> douchebag. And the film does start again in the last twenty minutes as well, so I can see how you're like, no, seriously, when is this going to happen? Yeah. And how about you? What did you see on TV? First? I saw the same things he saw, pretty oh. much. Although I saw Gone with the Wind like about a week week earlier. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we saw Last Crusade as well, didn't we? We did. And we tried to watch Return of the Jedi, the new... We couldn't make it for it. No. I was reading uh, Rinsler, J.W. Rinsler's fantastic Return of the Jedi book. If you are in any way a fan of Star Wars, get this book. It's amazing. I was completely gripped by it over Christmas. Um, and then we put on Return of the Jedi after I'd finished it as a kind of, hey, Return of the Jedi. And... George Lucas. Oh dear, oh dear. Let's what take a done? moment. Yeah. But watching Last Crusade was pretty uplifting. Oh, we were just thinking, God, this is a good film. This is so fun. Can I just say I really liked Return of the Jedi and have no problem watching it as many no, times as I No, it's the new stuff. I love Return of the oh, Jedi. Oh, you're watching the... I would put on the special edition Blu-ray ah. and I got upset because I'd been reading all about these brilliant puppets and, and stuff and then suddenly all these CG monstrosities have sort of been pasted on over stuff. I, I don't know what he's done to the Sarlacc pit. Anyway, this is another podcast that, that no one will listen to. But <laughs> Well, yeah, and also at the end, the three glowing figures. I didn't make it. Didn't he's, got, he's got rid of the Yubnub song as well. Yeah, Yubnub's gone. And, <sighs> well, that went ages ago, but Yubnub's gone. And this is Yoda. like a podcast from 1997. Uh, isn't it, isn't it? Anyway, carry on. <laughs> um, sorry, we took that off and put on the sorrow and the pity. Of course you did. Of course you did. I should never have doubted it for a moment. Um, and, uh, well, I, I watched, I mean, very, on TV, I watched very predictably Singing in the Rain because it was, it was there inevitably. And any time you turn on the TV and Singing in the Rain is on, I mean, it's just the law that you have to watch it. That's obvious. Um, I also had the, tr not by now traditional, um, 
O'Hara family viewing of Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which had my mum guffawing at the screen once again when people died in increasingly horrible ways. What about books? I've been reading Monuments Men, which I really, really am enjoying. Um, I also read lots of Terry Pratchett over the break because there's such a thing as tradition at Christmas um, and Raising Steam is not maybe not quite at his best, but it's still very, very, very good. How does it compare to his kind of new wave of... I view the last four Pratchett books yeah. as being kind of a new era. The sort of Moist von Litwig era. Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, how does it compare to, say, Unseen Academicals? Or I would say it's better than Unseen Academicals, but not as good as Making Money or Going Postal. Okay, gotcha. Uh, what about you, Nick? You've well, been I'm still stuff. halfway through Mort, my first Terry Pratchett book, but I kind of t- I've been on hiatus from that slightly. I need to get back to it. Um, I obviously read the Rinsler Return of the Jedi book, which I was just talking about. I'm halfway through a really good Hitchcock book. I can't remember the name of the author, but it's fantastic. And then I read The Woman in White, which was my secret Santa gift from our featured editor, Dan Jolin. Very good. The Wil- Wilkie, Wilkie Collins. Collins. I had read The Moonstone uh, a few years ago, Didn't wasn't completely gripped by it. I thought this one was amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's got a villainous count with a cape. As all good counts who are villainous should. I was reading, I ate it up, I've not read a book so quickly and wanted to reread it as I was reading it, is, wait for the nerdy answer, is The Elements of Eloquence, which is the follow-up, I can't remember the name of the author, uh, who did the Horologicon and the... Curious. That one. Good luck, yeah. Entomologicon. Somebody bought that for me for Christmas. Stunning books. Like, the first one is about the secret origins of words. That's the Etymologicon. And the second one is the Horologicon, which is, you know, unknown words or old English words that aren't used enough. Over the course of a day, when you wake up, you might use this word, this word, this word, this word. And my favourite word from the Horologicon is a bow trap, B-E-A-U, so bow like French, trap. And that's a slab, a paving stone, which has uh, cut itself in half and is trapped full of water. So when you tread on it, your foot gets covered in water. And so this time of year, all the storms going on, I've been hitting bow traps like a mother chuffer. And the final new book, The Elements of Eloquence, is a rhetorical figure by rhetorical figure guide to how beautiful words are put together why assonance works what is alliteration all sorts of greek terms i can't even begin to pronounce i've gone way overboard on this question but i love the book and i cannot recommend it enough he won't listen to this podcast in time for it to come out but it's my friend's birth phil's birthday not you phil on friday i'm getting him all three books so i recommend you buy them also on the map which is the follow-up to just my type we can All have right. any idea what you're talking about from now on. I don't care. Okay. I started reading Orson Welles' biography, which I was kindly bought by someone around this table. Oh, no need to mention it. Uh, and, um, yeah, I've started reading a book about the First World War because it's 1914's 100th centennial anniversary. It is, yes. Yeah, um, called Catastrophe, which could good? equally be called Fifty Shades of Sir Edward Grey. Because <laughs> he was the foreign minister. That's a okay. big book. It's a mighty tomb. Yeah. So it's a, it's a sort of red continent of pain then. It's by it's it's yeah. Look, I don't think too soon. A little bit too soon. Did you say years. something? <laughs> dear. Instead of a red room of pain, I was going red continent of pain. It didn't really work. I'll be honest. Let's move on. Okay. Ellen, is this a sex thing? <laughs> God, I hope not. Okay, well that's it for the questions this week. I think we've wibbled on for long enough. Um, if you want to get in touch and send us questions for next week, as ever, we are on Twitter at Empire Magazine. Use the the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it. Uh, we're on Facebook, Empire Magazine, and you can email us at podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, um, our two interviews this week are with the director and star of 12 Years a Slave, which just picked up 10 BAFTA nominations earlier this week. 
First up is the finest Chewy, this side of Han Solo's best mate. He's one of Britain's finest actors, a powerhouse on stage and the small screen, whose movie career has already included the likes of David Mamet's Red Belt, Roland Emmerich's 2012 and Joss Whedon's Serenity. But with 12 Years a Slave, in which he plays a free man who's wrongfully uh, kidnapped and enslaved, this is the film that finally provides a fitting showcase for his talents. He is, of course, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and he was talking to Nick and Phil. Welcome, Chiwetel. Uh, thank you. Did I do okay with the pronunciation? I know that you did, you've you probably... Did. You had a slight look in your eye around that. Time. Did you see the panic <laughs> yeah, in my face? Something, I noticed that, yeah. I was trying to give sort of sympathetic <laughs> vibes back. I felt was, them, thank you. <laughs> it was perfect, thank you. You're with two people that have kind of unpronounceable surnames, so oh, right, we've okay. had we've had our share of manglage down the years, but um, thank you for your sympathy, and congratulations on an astonishing piece of, piece of work. Thank you. Um, thank you. Both from you and from and from Steve McQueen and from everyone involved really because it, it, it's a massive sort of ensemble of talent acting and but on both sides of the camera you I know had some hesitation about the about the material to start with yeah um what what was it that Steve sort of said to to kind of persuade you to take on this role he didn't try and persuade me about it actually it was um uh, I think he was a bit sort of stunned you know he's he'd sent me the script and I think the it is such an amazing story and an amazing uh, script, and uh, uh, and I was so taken aback by it. But um, and I think that when he called me after I'd read it, when we spoke again, I think he was sort of ha- he just sort of had an expectation that I would be immediately like, yeah, I mean, Steve, this is an incredible piece of uh, you know, this is how did you find this, and you know, why, how did it disappear, <laughs> you know, um, because I'd never heard of Solomon Northup, and you know, and he hadn't before his wife Bianca had, had found this um, the book. I'm guessing there was a bit of anxiety even when the shoot was beginning. And did, how kind of nervous were you going into it, even when you were arriving, seeing all the sets and knowing you were now? Well, that was all much better actually, because because as soon as you know, but once the decision was made, there actually was about uh, quite a while. It was about um, nine months or so before we started shooting. And so in that time, it was there was just a lot of possibility for, uh, for just preparation for it, and uh, and and obviously we, you know, we had this terrific autobiography from Solomon Northup to uh, to work with and work from, and uh, and then I had the time. I was working on a couple of other projects, but then I had the time to go to Louisiana and to really get a feel for the place and the plantations out there and what had been going on and find out from people stories not only about Solomon Northup but other stories that had been happening at the time and meet the relatives of plantation owners and there was just a lot of time to kind of incorporate mm. um, you know uh, the, the story really mm. and so by the time we got on set even though it, it's always a shock starting a project you know especially a project like that and you're always kind of obviously excited and and nervous but uh, but it wasn't a kind of mm. it wasn't approached with a kind of terror it was mm. you know there was a kind of it felt very much like we had had been able to prepare how did it begin did steve ease you into it with with a gentler scene or were you thrown into it i was hoped i you know I'd ne- i've never done a film in chronological order and uh, and this film i i thought was perfect for it you know <laughs> So that we could really like start in Saratoga, New York, where, where Solomon Northup is from, and then go on this journey, you know, through the through the twelve years. But um, and actually, Steve was like on board for that. But then, uh, uh, just in terms of people's schedule, you know, it was because uh, Michael Fassbender and uh, Benedict and um, uh, Brad Pitt, you know, mm. just the various people who just you know were, were, were have to fit around their busy kind of schedules, and so it ended up 
starting on the Epps Plantation, which is uh, Michael Michael Fassbender plays, and and that comes about sort of halfway through the film, and it's a very tense uh, period of the film. So um, it was interesting to get kind of thrown into into that um, immediately. Uh, so you know that started. I mean, the first day was probably not hardest day except for it was 108 degrees out and uh, and it was uh, yeah, very high humidity and you know it was completely kind of brutal the temperature and so you kind of realize that you end up forgetting everything else that you've thought about because you're just trying to get through the actual circumstance of mm. the you know we're out there picking cotton and no shade and you and you suddenly you're very deep you're very immediately deep down the rabbit hole you know mm. so uh so in that sense, it's very good, but it was definitely a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. I have this kind of strange obsession with the fact that as an actor, you learn all these auxiliary skills and pick up incredible range of information throughout your career. Yeah. Have you had any any skills that you've kind of that have come in particularly handy or that have been particularly fun, to sort of? To ad- well, to ad- you know, all of all of them. You know, the, the um, you know, the, I remember doing um, when I was doing Red Belt and uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I. Um, I loved it. I thought it was a, an amazing sport, and I really, I really got into it. And uh, luckily, I it hasn't come in handy in that sense. But it's, uh, it was really great to um, to do and have, and just have the opportunity to do something like that for so long and quite so intensely. But, uh, but like so many things, <clears throat> it's like the skill is learning how to do it very quickly. But then you have to drop it, you know. And mm. I thought that I'd actually continue the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu until I was in a. In a in a place you know in I think it was in uh, an L A in West L A and and you know and, and then you're in with like a couple of cops and some ex army guys and you're thinking I don't know if I'm actually really going to get in the ring here with these guys and try and do you know shoot day tomorrow on something else you know so um, so that generally what happened but then it's a, I think the skill is actually learning how to to pick it up quickly and drop it quickly. Did you pick up anything doing kinky boots? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I picked up a lot of things. The, uh, but you know, w- walking in heels was the main skill that I hadn't. That that you know, coming into it, I hadn't, and, and I, I, I had no idea how much I didn't know about walking in heels actually. Mm. But um, and you know, I think there were four and a half inch in the end, that, that, and trying to dance in them at one point. Um, and uh, which is why you know I'm going to go and see the show actually when I get yeah, back to uh, I was going to ask go back that. to New York and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they kind of manage to pull that off every night and uh, the dancing in the in the heels was uh, intense. Yeah, that was one of the first uh, sets I was ever on when I started in t- uh, 2004. Oh right, and I got to see you dancing in a warehouse. <laughs> yeah, that I'm was sure the... you won't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the event, mm-hmm. but it's but, really but taken on a life of its own. Yeah, no, it's become this thing. It has. It's been great. Um, another thing you've done. Uh, serenity yeah a lot of fans would like to see that uh, that whole kind of world come back Obviously, yeah. you wouldn't be back with it but what are your memories of, of doing that because that's a beloved sci-fi film yeah no it was amazing i thought joss was amazing i mean there's no reason i can't come back i wasn't mm. uh, i wasn't uh, completely killed off no. at the end um just to put that out yep. there yep. For anyway. yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> the uh no, it was. I thought Jess was amazing, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, I just thought, you know, I remember, you know, I didn't. I actually didn't know anything about Firefly, you know, beforehand. Uh, and then, um, and then they sent me all of them, and I just was completely mesmerized by it. I just thought it was a really great, uh, great series, uh, and a shame that it didn't. That didn't continue, you know. And so it was amazing. I think that they managed to pull together Serenity, and it's been incredible to see. You know Joss Whedon's work and the continuing incredible success he has, and I think he's a really uh, remarkable guy. Mm. Your character has a very uh, 
specialized means of executing the state's will, I guess. Mm. The, the, the death scenes. Sure. Did you have any input into how those were kind of choreographed? No. Um, he um, he had a very clear idea of how he wanted that to, uh, especially that kind of the first one, and uh, where um, with the, where he just where the guy just sort of falls on the sword, having been kind of paralysed. Mm. Uh, but you know, Joss has already set that up, and um, uh, and it's just one of those things. You just stand back and just let somebody just be kind of brilliant, and just you're like, that's cool. Yeah, let me, I'll do that. You know, and uh, it was. Um, I think the whole shoot was kind of like that, really. That he was just very in command of it and just uh he just had a very 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 clear idea of what of the, the images he wanted to see i mean you could have input in the kind of in some of the tone of it if you like uh, in in terms of just delivery but uh, but overall he, he was very aware of what he wanted mm. and how is life at the moment for you because you're you're kind of heading into the awards maelstrom um what's that like well, it's um, you know w- w- since we opened the film, um, I suppose in in Telluride in Colorado uh, a few months ago, it's been um, it's been very busy, you know. But uh, but in a film like this, which I am you know just uh, deeply proud of and uh, and have been so delighted actually with just the reception the film has got and how much it's kind of been embraced. It was uh, it's been it's kind of been fun to get it out there and 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 talk about it and a lot of the times people teach you about the film you made you know and that's um and that's been kind of that's been kind of great and so i include all of the the award stuff in that really it all still feels about uh, just about about the film it doesn't feel it doesn't really feel personal in a no. way it, it feels like the film and solomon northup's journey is kind of has sort of generated a kind of energy um and and uh, and uh, and you know and coupled with that I think is a really a really remarkable filmmaker so um, so that feels like uh, it all feels like part of the same Does it feel strange to be on the front cover of the movie tie-in version of the book of Solomon Northup's book You know it's interesting when I first saw that that was going to happen I did feel that, uh, that maybe I would find that odd you know uh, when I was first told that was going to happen, but then actually, when I saw the book, it doesn't, it didn't connect in that way to me, you know. And even the poster, in a strange way, I still feel that kind of sense of disconnect in in the idea that I don't think I don't take it personally, you know. It doesn't, it is, it does, it still maintains itself as his story, and so that is a, a like it's me representing him, but is essentially him you know uh i know that sounds maybe a little strange but that's it doesn't it doesn't it's not like a snapshot of me doing something no you know and john hillcutt whose work we've we've enjoyed on the road and lawless last year um has triple triple nine coming out and you're attached to that as well as a master thief (laughs) i gather (laughs) well we'll see we're just we're in we're all in the process of just kind of figuring out all the bits and pieces of that it may be a bit early to um to talk about it all but uh but i you know i do think he is an extraordinary director john hilko and uh so um so yeah hopefully let's see you haven't done any master thefts to prepare no not yet (laughs) not yet we'll keep an eye on the microphones yeah exactly (laughs) Chiotel, thank you so much for coming and talking to us on the Empire Podcast, and best of luck for the next for the next few months. Thank you, thank and I hope you get some time off at Christmas. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Okay, it's time for movie news now. We've had some very big news this week. What are we going to start with? I can kick things off if people don't mind. Uh, Gerard Butler, you know him. We like him. You know Jerry. This is Jerry. Uh, he is set to be, but not confirmed to be. This sure. is a planned 
in an ideal situation for the producers behind the Wait For It reboot, he could be Bodhi in the Point Break remake. That's right. The rebreak. The rebreak. Patrick Swayze's iconic central part of Bodhi, the Zen leader of a crime ring responsible for several daring heists, will be swapped out with a Scottish man who looks good topless. Sorry to to interject, but he's not the most Zen-like of actors generally, is he? But then, I mean, Swayze wasn't exactly known as a Zen master. Oh come on! This. Have you seen Roadhouse? Helen? I have seen Roadhouse. You're, you're right. He, I'm wrong. Nobody right rips out a man's throat with such, with such <laughs> mellow, Zen-like mellow tranquility. Zen-like, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's a chilled, chilled. Uh, you know, yeah. Now he has, of course, been surfing on screen recently, hasn't he? Yeah, in Chasing Mavericks, which was out in 2012, where he nearly killed himself. Uh, it's doing... also a mega flop. Sorry, go on. It was a mega flop, and it was a mega flop when he crashed into the water as well. Uh, uh, so just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water yeah we go the, the thing is I would be more confident about this film if it were being helmed by somebody that I respected as much as say Catherine Bigelow this is being helmed by somebody who I just don't know so maybe I shouldn't pass any comment but uh, the person currently in charge of directing duties is Ericsson Kaur great name mm. uh, he is so far best known for being the cinematographer for both Fast and the Furious, which ironically was a remake of a sort of Point Break, and Daredevil. So mm-hmm. I would rather it was Spielberg. Uh, as it is, I'm not that enthused. Is it wrong that I feel that Point Break is one of those films, along with like Citizen Kane and Casablanca, that you just don't remake? I mean, okay, yes, Casablanca, we have had the definitive remake in Barbed Wire, but... <laughs> You know, surely you just you just leave that one aside, don't you? Is the is the plan this time that they're including different extreme sports, and that's like the hook? That was originally the premise. Uh, so far, like with the news from Hollywood Reporter that you know Butler is edging towards putting pen to paper, there's been no mention of the whole XXX style extreme sports thing. But uh, if there were to be, I think they should get Vin Diesel back. Sean Pertwee should be playing Bodie. I think Sean Bean should be playing Bodie. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe we should be playing Bodie. You should honest. play Bodie. I should play Bodie. He is a Zen master. I think Adrian Brody should play Bodie. Oh, I like it. <laughs> he could do the gig. Aaron Eckhart could do the job, actually. He was talking about his surfing talents just yesterday on the, on the web chat. Yeah, yeah, Check you're right. Out online. His favourite move, he said on the board, was falling off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's going to replace Busey? I mean, this is the big question. Come no, on, no, no, we're no. all thinking this. Busey's Busey. Angelo Papas. There's no reboot. There's no reboot. I'd love him. it if Busey just comes back. That's what I mean. And it's as if nothing's nothing's changed. <laughs> he has the old submarine sandwich just still there. He's a larger heck. meatball, more meatballs in the sandwich. Nick Offerman, perhaps. Yes, he's um, youngish, dumbish, <laughs> full of cumish. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, on this re- remake, um, we re- we asked our readers what they thought of Jared Butler playing Bodie in, in a poll under the, the news story. And uh, 55% have gone for back off War Child seriously. <laughs> there will only ever be Swayze. So. It's a tough. I mean, I've got, I've got nothing. I, I, I enjoy Jared Butler on yeah. screen regularly. Um, when he's in the right role, he's, he's really fun. And who didn't enjoy him in Olympus Has Fallen um, playing a game of fuck off? Uh, with, a te- with a terrorist, yeah. So I, I've got nothing against him. I just I agree with you guys. I think this is this is one that this is, film is going to have to be absolutely spectacular to get past the fact that they're remaking a brilliant film in the first place. Would you say they're scraping the bottom of the barrel? <laughs> yes, that's a surf yes. Yes. Wow! Come on, I we would... think they should hang ten until they're really <sighs> ready for this. Okay, what have we got next? I'm so sorry. Um, well, it's sort of not remake, more spin off. But obviously, Disney have been talking about, and Lucas been talking about these uh, 
character-driven spin-offs of the Star Wars universe. And there was a scoop from a man named John Schnepp, who is a filmmaker and I believe a blogger, who has a source that's told him that Lawrence Kasdan, mm. the man who wrote what's widely seen as the, the best, the greatest of all the Star Wars movies, The Empire Strikes Back, yep. has will be writing a Boba Fett spin-off. And this all kind of fits with rumours we've heard, right? It absolutely does, yeah. I mean, we've heard the rumours of a possible Yoda spin-off mm-hmm. and a Han Solo spin-off. Mm-hmm. And a Boba Fett spin-off. And obviously a Boba Fett spin-off. And Boba Fett seems to be the first the first bounty hunter off the rank with Kazdan penning it. And it seems like a good choice. And I, you know, Lawrence Kazdan, aside from Empire Strikes Back, and he obviously did the big chill, um, did a couple of westerns, Silverado, Wyatt Earp. And it seems like this might be kind of a western-y type of tale. Mm. You know, he's a classic kind of western archetype, Boba Fett, isn't he? The kind of the roaming Ronin-type gunslinger. The big question hanging over this film is uh, whether Boba Fett is going to have a Kiwi accent. Yeah. Because obviously he didn't, to begin with, when he was voiced by Jason Wingreen for the original trilogy. And then it was dubbed over for the special editions by Tamura Morrison. Is Boba Fett going to be from New Zealand in this film? <laughs> I'm going to stay quite quiet on this one because honestly I don't get the obsession with Boba Fett I think he's a rubbish character and I genuinely don't understand anyone who thinks otherwise Helen, he is a great character possibly the greatest Okay, he wears a jetpack but apart from that I genuinely don't understand where you're coming from He has a thing on his wrist that cables come out of Spider-Man. Okay. So does Inspector Gadget. Yeah, it's, it seems like, I mean, everybody's kind of fallen in love with the toy, but like, if you look Helen. on screen in the original trilogy... He has a cool helmet. Oh my God. I think... I don't I don't want to make this whole episode about Parks and Rec, but Pan Oswald does a great filibuster uh, involving Boba Fett coming back out of the Sarlacc pit, putting his hand, clumping it into the sand and pulling himself up again. I uh, I feel like we essentially should just make that. Disney own half of every available IP. Uh, they won't be able to bring the X-Men involved because that was part of this kind of interdimensional, mm. multi-universe uh, pitch he had. But we could get Indy involved. So Star Wars, Marvel, Indie, Together. Do it. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, it's an idea. It's not my idea, but it's an idea. Who is suggesting a Sarlacc pit spin-off? <laughs> Just to see. As it slowly digests something. <laughs> yeah, over millions of years. Sarlacc in real time. kind of an indie movie spin-on. Directed by Lars von Trier. The Sarlacc pit goes to high school. <laughs> uh, high school goes to the Sarlacc pit, surely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ali, high w- what have you got for us? Uh, well, I've already mentioned Gerard Butler, but I want to mention also that Matt Reeves, who is the director of Cloverfield, uh, he's also the director of the upcoming sequel to Rise of the Planet of the Apes. The sequel of that movie is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is uh, set to come up later this year. They have already, the guys up at Fox have already seen a cut of the film. They think it's so good. They've already made sure that he, Matt Reeves, will direct the third Planet of the Apes movie within this new era. The question is, what do you call it after Rise and Dawn? Is it lunchtime of the Planet of the no, Apes? No, is of the Planet of the Apes. Right. Or is it that that kind of cloudy period uh, just after lunch when you've eaten too much of the Planet of the Apes. Who knows? Uh, so that's one little thing. Also, Paul Blart, Mall Cop, which I've always thought was the most inconsiderate journalist tripping upping uh, name for a film. I always managed to go, Paul Blart, blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, that is getting a sequel. Uh, James, uh, Kevin James will be back on his segue. My trail for this new story was, where there's a will, there's a segue, and I'm far too proud of it. Anyway, he will be back, as will the director, as will the writer, uh, who co-wrote it with Kevin James. Uh, it was actually a surprise smash, earning $189 million, uh, worldwide back in 2009, so the same year as Avatar. He'll be back, which makes sense, because uh, his recent movie, Here Comes the Boom, was not the best. And... Uh, didn't make that much money. So go with what works. 
Nick, you have a story for us. I do. Uh, Rosemary's Baby is getting a TV miniseries. Um, hmm. You will remember it was obviously um, a 1968 movie by Roman Polanski. It's one of my favourite films. Um, I should be annoyed by this. I kind of feel like I should be, but I'm not. I'm actually quite looking forward to it. I'm not sure why. But I guess... Uh, you know. It feels like they can do something sufficiently different with it over yeah. a, a mini-series kind of format, yeah. maybe. Maybe it's because I've been watching Bates Motel over Christmas and series one of that, which I went in going... Uh, and, you know, doing a remake of doing a psycho thing, prequel thing, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. And so, yeah, you're right. I think there's there's potential for this to be to be really good. Zoe Saldana is playing the lead, the Mia Farrow role, Rosemary. Interesting. Um, and so I guess it's it's they're not going to be able to spin it on into much more than one series unless they, unless they, Avatar they take goes it back on further. Or unless yeah, or unless they take it on further than the baby and it becomes Rose, Rosemary's toddler, whatever. <laughs> but no, I yeah, I'm I'm, I'm uh, cautiously uh, looking forward to it. All right, um, before we leave movie news, we should obviously discuss the fact that the BAFTA nominations were announced this week. Um, So it was a good day, not to die hard, thank goodness. It was a good day. Gravity got 11 nominations and 12 Years a Slave and American Hustle had 10 each. But given that Gravity qualifies as a British film and the other two do not, you could almost say that those three are pretty much neck and neck, really, I think, um, with... And Gravity has fewer nominations in the acting front, obviously. Tiny cast. Remind so, us why Gravity counts as a British film? Well, it was entirely made in this country with an entirely British uh, crew. And let's face it, the crew did most of the heavy lifting here, with all due respect to Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, who were great. Uh, also as a British producer in David Heyman. Um, so that one that one, I actually have very little problems with qualifying as a British film. The, perhaps I think more surprising to people is the fact that Saving Mr. Banks is a British film under the rules of BAFTA, which also uses the BFI definition. That's on the basis of screenwriter Kelly Marcel and the producer, who's Alison Owen, and they're both British. So, yeah. I would have thought they'd have stuck filth in there somehow. I would, I'm surprised not to see filth. I mean, I think, you know, there have been some... Very good British, more if you like, more solidly British films or more purely British films. Um, Sunshine on Leith, maybe as well. That was a lot of fun. Um, the Selfish Giant is probably the most kind of traditionally British film on the list of the outstanding British film category. That there, there is just to clarify there. There's Gravity, Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom, Philomena, Rush, Saving Mr. Banks, and The Selfish Giant. I mean, Philomena again, a, a, a sterling British film. I would have thought that was in with a really good chance at the British um, categories at the BAFTAs, but actually it's looking like that one's a pretty crowded category and it might get locked out by one of the bigger kind of names in there. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Best film, the nominees are 12 Years a Slave, American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Gravity and Philomena. So what what are people thinking there? Mm. Where's Inside Lewin Davis? Where's Inside Lewin Davis? Where is Wolf of Wall Street? Where's Wolf of Wall Street? Uh, Scorsese gets a, gets a nod for Best Director, but his film doesn't get really much love at all. I think it, it may be down. There's been speculation in the US already that Wolf of Wall Street has been um, scuppered for its Oscar chances because people have seen voters leaving screenings kind of in disgust or horror at the scenes of quite graphic drug use and um, uh, sex it's in the, the same, film. You know, it's the, it's the filth thing as well. Yeah. Films that are that edgy and dark and, you know, violent and that much swearing kind of tend to scare voters off. Yeah, know? because a lot of the voters are, you know older people um, and perhaps they are slightly mm. less yeah yeah toughened um, and it, as far as Inside Lewin Davis goes I think it's it's one of the, it's not really an awardsy film I think it's an absolutely brilliant film but it's it's very quiet and doesn't have a big uplifting ending it's kind of the anti-awards film in a way so I, I kind of get why it's not there but 
I wish it was, mm. and especially Oscar Isaac. Yeah, he's thought it's one of the, easily one of the best performances of the year that I've seen. I think Daniel Brühl gets a best supporting BAFTA nod for this uh, he does. for him his role in the rush. Yes, yeah, uh, well deserved. So I think that, as so well. So that's one good thing where I'm feeling, oh well, they got that right at least. And what about Blue Jasmine? That seems to have been swerved as well. It does. I mean, it's got a screenplay nod, um, and of course, Kate Blanchett is in there for her performance, which I, I would have think she she is the one to beat in that category. Now, I adore Emma Thompson in Saving Mr. Banks. I think she's utterly fabulous in it, um, and, and it's a really strong category all round. Amy Adams for American Hustle. Um, Judy Dench for Philomena and Sandra Bullock are in there as well. That's that's an incredible category. But I, I think Kate Blanchett's probably they're probably engraving that already. I would have thought. I'm super stoked to see Sally Sally Hawkins get a nomination because I think a she was really good in that film and a part that would be easily overlooked um, potentially. But that's kind of uh, really adds ballast to the whole thing. Absolutely. Um, and I, I actually had the fortune of interviewing her at the end of last year, and, and she 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 wasn't really I kind of broke it to her how well received the film was and how much people liked it she really didn't know she hadn't read any of the reviews and she was so delighted <laughs> um so congratulations to her and i hope she i hope she she wins that absolutely and also barkad abdi is in there for captain phillips which i think is an incredibly well deserved nod because uh he's up for obviously supporting actor but that that's a, a brilliant brilliant performance from a guy who'd pretty much got no background behind him at all we need to talk about the other big news story we mentioned it in our last in our last uh, episode of the podcast, our last edition, uh, which was such a long time ago, it feels like. And it's our Scarface super special edition of uh, Empire. Apparently some other stuff in there as well. Uh, but it's essentially a eight-page long booklet uh, featuring uh, amazing interviews with all the cast and uh, some of the uh, writers, obviously. Um, some of the writers, the writer and director of the uh, of the infamous gangster classic. Apparently some guy called Nick Semlin uh, made it happen. And uh, it's one of the coke haze at the time no I wasn't I wasn't really um, but I did have to stay up quite late to do some of those interviews oh, so oh, you know it was, it was a bit like Scarface you needed a bump to get you going we, we should actually was... talk about a little bit about the new issue because it was embargoed uh, you know, when we last had our, our podcast um, we can now reveal that this is the beginning of our 25th anniversary year at Empire and there are going to be a whole slew yes thank you for that um, fanfare there are going to be a whole slew of big big exclusives coming this year in Empire Magazine. If you are not already a subscriber, genuinely, uh, this is probably the time to do it. You really want the subscriber covers to the next issue, trust yeah, me I, on I that. Genuinely, and to back up your point, uh, it's 25 quid for a year now to time with the 25th birthday thing. And we don't say, hey, go buy a uh, subscription. We don't do that. It's not something we do in the podcast. But just... We're doing it this time. Do it. it just yeah. All I'm saying is, do yourself a favour. I, I honestly mean this. Do yourself a favour and subscribe because if you don't do it soon, then you'll miss out on the next issue, which um, is currently killing a few people, uh, but you'll want to get it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so also inside the, the, this particular issue, uh, we look at our 25 big films for our 25th year, led off by Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is Marvel's paranoia thriller. We've got a look at Godzilla in there. We've got The Amazing Spider-Man 2. We've got Grand Budapest Hotel, Divergent... Gone Girl, you name it. Exodus, uh, the first look at Ridley Scott's Exodus. So uh, pick it up if you haven't already. And re- frankly, I don't know why you wouldn't have. Yeah, you should. Yeah, again, I'll mention it again. Monty Python, every single one of them that's alive, all being interviewed, and they're very funny. Uh, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes in there. And Robocop. More. Have I, have Robocop. I mentioned Robocop. Scarface? Yeah, I will say uh, on the Scarface thing, coolest moments of last year was having Giorgio Moroder um, playing to me I was the first person in the world to start hear his new 12 inch disco remix of the Scarface theme and he went I've just finished it hang on I'll play it to you and he played it down the phone it was awesome
Hello and welcome to the science bit of the Empire podcast where Ali the editor, that is me by the way, tells you a bit more about our sponsor Squarespace and how to make use of their free trial and discount deal. If you're not already in the know or missed Helen saying it earlier, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio or online store. I already do my own. I am enjoying it, but I just don't have the time, but it is good. Uh, for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on a new account, go to squarespace.com forward slash empire and use the offer code empire1. But you want more details and I understand that, so just for you, here are a few more why you should use Squarespace. For starters, Squarespace is very easy to use. It also has won lots of awards uh, from the likes of Forbes and with, you know, this being the internet here, the Webbies. It's also got uh, a customer service that's based in both New York, if you happen to be in America, and Dublin, if you happen to be in the Europe-type area, uh, as well as being user-friendly and doing all the tricky stuff for you, search engine optimization, hosting and making a site mobile, tablet, portable device-friendly, all that stuff. They've also got a huge vault of pre-prepared designs and style options to be getting on with to tweak to your taste. Sign up for a year and get a free domain name. Enjoy an on-hand support team working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all for $8 a month. And with this uh, uh, aforementioned uh, free trial uh, discount offer, you get 10% off your first purchase with the Empire Podcast's very own offer code EMPIRE1 via squarespace.com forward slash empire. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. All right. Uh, thank you for all of the news. We're going to move on now. The man who could become the only person to win both a Turner Prize and an Oscar for Best Director, Steve McQueen. He was an acclaimed artist before turning his hand to equally acclaimed movies. He began with the Bobby Sands drama Hunger, starring Michael Fassbender, and then turned his unwavering eye on sex addiction and shame starring Michael Fassbender. And now there's 12 Years a Slave, uh, which stars Chiwetel Ejiofor and Michael Fassbender. He is, of course, Steve McQueen, not that one. And he was talking again to Nick and Phil. So your wife, Bianca, came across the book and we were yeah. curious, what is she reading at the moment? Uh, Does she have she, any more she, ideas for you? Should I call her? <laughs> give her a call. I'll give her a call. A live. Oh, okay. Well, okay, it's two seconds. Yeah. We're curious whether you're keep, yeah, yeah, keeping well, an eye on her bedside table to see what your next so film is. Bloody much. She's like, um, you know, she, when I first met her, she, she, you know, she sort of ate books. I mean, she used to, I mean, you know, before we had kids, she used to read at least three books a week. At least. She used to devoured, devoured books. This could be a podcast first. I don't think we've ever had a live a live phone call. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not just ring her up on. If she picks up, I hope she does. She was she was cleaning the closet. Hey, darling, how are you? You're, you're live on air. You're on a podcast radio. So don't what? curse. You're live on air. You're on a podcast here, so don't curse or swear or or, or chew me out here. Um, they want to. Uh, we're, we're on Empire Empire Podcast. They want to know what are you reading right now? What what book are you reading right now? You're live on air. Which book I'm reading right now? Yeah. Um. What am I reading right now? Uh, art as therapy. Oh, that's the the guy in it. What's his name? But the English guy. Alain de Alain de Alain de Botton. Yeah. And what was what you read before that? The one I read before that. What's the favorite book? I can't remember. I read it on my iPhone. Oh yeah, Donatart. Ooh, Donatart. The new Donatart. Yeah. The new Donatart. The Goldfinch. Yes. 
Okay, great. Okay, well, listen, babes, I'll, I'll speak to you later. Um, yeah, you know, they want to know, you know obviously, you, you, you found the book 12 Years a Slave, and they want to know what you're reading now. So I love you, and I'll speak to you later, okay? Take care. <laughs> Thank, Bye. You. Okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Bianca. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> that is an exclusive. Thank you very much for that. That's fantastic. Right. So Donna Tartt, then, is your next movie. <laughs> <laughs> No art. It was art and theory. Um, yeah, by Alan de Botton. That's the next one. Now, much more, much, much more funnier. Are you, are you <laughs> a big reader yourself? Uh, yes, and no. But I'm, I was always into theory. I was again. It's fiction wasn't really my thing. I was just more into theory. Um, I know it sounds boring, but I was just interested in theory, and uh, that, 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 that that was me sort mm. of thing. I mean, yes, now and then, but it's more theory. Mm. Sort of, you know, academic books. This is quite boring, but never mind. That's how I am. Do you, we're always reading uh, books about the making of films and mm-hmm. such and such. Are you uh, interested? Are you kind of a yes, student of the yes, cinema? Yes, 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 and, and history books, theory history books. Yes, and and yes, and I've got my very very good uh, library. Yes, of Billy Wilder, and uh, you know, I bought actually just the other day. I think I think I've, I think I actually got the book. But I bought it again because I want to read it immediately on, on Coppola. And you know, again on uh, or everyone. I mean, everyone. Brando. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Godard, uh, you know, um, you know, Bresson. I mean, I, yeah, the, I like. Uh, mm. I don't know, narrative is narrative, but theory is theory, so I prefer theory. So again, we got best of both worlds at our house. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a, a chat with um, Sean Bobbitt, your your DP, sure. mm-hmm. who um, helped make this film beautiful, <laughs> really beautiful uh-huh. in 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 anamorphic widescreen, mm-hmm. and um, and he was rhapsodizing about your your incredible knowledge of, of cinema from the sort of the beginning of the medium mm-hmm. all the way up to now mm-hmm. um, wh- why is it taking so long for slavery to become part of the cinematic mainstream and why now because I mean we've had the year started with um, Spielberg's Lincoln and mm-hmm. um, we've had Lee Daniels made The Butler which touches mm-hmm. on plantation antebellum slavery mm-hmm. um, Django Unchained touched on it as well mm-hmm. uh, I think you know people were ashamed um you know, and embarrassed of that history. I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, God's country, America, and the fact that this happened. I think people were very uh, ashamed, and rightly so. It was a vile, vicious, violent, you know, despicable time in history. And understandably so, people were ashamed. But I think the reason now um, there has been this sort of surge of movies uh, about the sort of African-American experience as such, I one cannot, uh, one cannot sort of underestimate the sort of uh, influence that the President, uh, President Barack Obama has had. I, I, I really do believe that people who, I mean, I think people have wanted to make these films before, but now I think people felt that, that they had the authority to do so. And obviously financiers think they could sort of make money out of it at the same time. I mean, this is, this is Hollywood, you know. Again, so yeah, I think now is the time, really, and I think Barack Obama has been a huge influence on that. You make films, which I think it's fair to say push uh, the kind of the the ed- to the edge what we've seen before and mm-hmm. further than we've seen before in different kind of areas. Um, do you have to do a lot of a lot of persuading of people? Have you found it quite easy to get these films made? Or? Uh, persuading of financiers, you're talking in terms about? of getting them made. Yeah, no, it's not been a problem. Right, not been a problem. No, not been a problem at all. Um, no, you had some challenges with shame, though, didn't you? Because I think you, you did you look at making it over here and or at least funded well, the cha- by the, the challenges was not done to do with money financially. The, that challenge was was to do with the fact that um, no one wanted to speak to us about sexual addiction. 
because at the time um, there was the uh, News of World stuff that had come out at that time. Plus, there was the Tiger Woods um, uh, scandal, him being as obviously the sex addict came out. So there was this sort of suspicious um, environment of people asking questions about anything. Even if you were making a film, people the door was firmly shut. Um, and that's what I had to go to, to to New York. That's what I had to go to the United States to sort of um, you know talk to experts in the field who um, to, to 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 make the, the movie. But at the same time, it was sort of a hand in glove situation because New York is a twenty four hour city. It's a city that uh, you know everything is at your disposal at, at, at any time. So in fact, it was a better setting than London in in, in retrospect. Well, just one thing on on shame. Whilst we were talking about it, I wondered if. Um, obviously, you, you know the ending should be open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. But did you, did you and Michael between you have have an idea of whether Brandon was going to be able to dig himself out of this hole? I mean, there's no, I, you know. Again, I'm keeping it open because it's an addiction. Will he be tempted? Will he not be tempted? I mean, you know, at certain points, will he fall off the wagon or such? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, um, for me, it was always a case of looking at sexual addiction in the same way as Billy Wilder looked at alcohol addiction in, uh, you know, Lost Weekend. It was all about that sort of looking at that n- new... Um, I mean, the fact that the internet, 90% of the internet is traffic, rather, uh, is pornography. It's kind of, you know, illuminating. It's almost like, you know, okay, this is the this is the, this is the, uh, the feeding ground for this kind of, um, you know, uh, affliction as such. So it's just, it was just interesting. It was current. Mm. It was very current. Talking about your persuasive qualities, um, mm-hmm. <coughs> Chiwetel took some persuading to take on the role. Yes. I gather Hans Zimmer also took a little bit of persuading. Hans, um, no. No? No, I rang Hans. He, 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 he had seen Hunger and he, he was a fan of Hunger. He rang me up and said, look, if you're doing another movie, um, look, I'd like to work with you. And I was in New Orleans and uh, I rang him up and said, Hans, remember Steve McQueen? Da, da. And he said, Steve, I'm destroying the world. <laughs> I think any time a German person starts saying that, you start, you know, you start worrying. <laughs> uh, he was actually uh, finishing, or, or at that time, uh, Superman. So that's what he was doing by destroy, what he meant by destroy, destroying the world. And I said, look, Hans, um, um, I would very much like, you know, we haven't got the money and we have ideas. Steve, I'll do it. So I put the phone down very quickly. Uh, <laughs> and that was it. You know, it was just, yeah, that was very, very simple. Oh, okay. How much input did you have personally into the music? I, I imagine you're quite a musical guy and get yeah. hands on with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, again, but, you know, we've got Hans Zimmer, you know. So it's like, you know, you, you, you have your input, you have your ideas. Mm. But obviously it's, 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 it's filtered through Hans, and which, which is, you know, great. I mean, again, he's the kind of person who's just, he likes to talk a lot um, before he actually, actually puts a finger on, on any key. So we talked for like first time was five hours, then we had two two hour phone calls, and then another meeting for for like three hours, and then one start and they started they started to sort of we started to try things out, and I think what was interesting about that was that um, you know he's just a, a he only needs to immerse himself in the narrative, immerse himself in that world before a note appears, and he, you know he's he's a, he's a master. Mm. Going back to shame and the music there, mm-hmm. there's a great scene where Michael Fassbender runs goes for a jog across yes, Manhattan yes, 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 yes. and you score that with with some with bark and Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Gould's Gould, yeah, bark yeah, no yeah. Less. he's my, my, one of my favourite uh, musicians just because you know he plays bark it's the, it's the only music I could think of that actually can translate um, a humanity in a way for me it feels it smells right as music that sort of can illustrate uh, us as human beings it makes my running playlist seem a bit low-brow, though, to be honest. <laughs> I mostly listen to, like, sort of dance music and... You're running too fast. You won't, get too, you won't go too far. 
you'll pace yourself. Come on. <laughs> I don't have as many roads, <laughs> roads to cross. <laughs> how, how long do you run? I'll be straight back. <laughs> We're going back to Chiwetel. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, was there a performance of his in particular that, that made you think this is the guy? Well, I only, see, I only saw dirty, pretty things of his. That's the only thing I've ever seen of his. Uh, and I met him because I was considering him for a, a role for another movie I was thinking about doing. And I met him and I thought, you know, this guy has, has something. There's a kind of statue, a kind of command, um, and a certain kind of, of um, humanity mm. in him, which I needed for him to, which I needed for the character of Solomon Northup, because he had to sort of, you know, navigate his way within this environment of, uh, which which was inhumane, and had to carry his, his, his humanity with him. Um, and I thought, okay, Chiwetel has that thing. It's a similar thing that Halabalafonte has, or Sydney uh, Sydney Party has. There's a certain kind of you know, you know um, stature, which you know, you, this guy walks in the room and you know he's not a slave. That's what I needed. Mm. Nobility, he conveys it amazingly for his eyes. To certainly saying yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. He is obviously getting a lot of the, the props for the film, but mm. but it's worth name checking some of the other. You put together an astonishing cast of, of mm -hmm. actors mm -hmm. and uh, Michael Fassbender obviously Benedict Cumberbatch mm -hmm. Brad Pitt Paul Giamatti Sarah Paulson Michael Kenneth Williams was interesting um, mm -hmm. would you, had you been someone that had been a fan of him as Omar Omar of course absolutely Omar's coming Omar's coming I mean yeah <laughs> did you give him any of that on set <laughs> uh, no but what, what, what the thing about uh, Michael Kenneth Williams is that my god we were, by the time he came on set we, everyone was pretty tired you know we, we just sort of uh, we're getting towards the end of the shoot and everyone, you know, everyone was pretty beat up. When Michael came on the set, his focus is and so and was so extreme that it just everyone's back, everyone stood up straight, everyone was on it. He's so focused. He's, I mean, it's it's incredible, um, and it, that it just infects the whole cast and crew. And it's like everyone is like, "Come on, let's go again." So he gave us a real shot in the arm just when, when we needed it. I mean, he's he's. He is, he's a serious man when he's focused. You know, he's just a great actor. David yeah. Simon, uh, mm -hmm. the man behind the wire, has had some very nice words to say about uh, 12 yeah. Years a Slave. Have you met with him? Do you know him? No, I haven't. And I, 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 but I, I, I've read what he said. It was an extraordinary compliment. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was a wonderful compliment. I wondered how you felt about D.W. Griffith. Who, yes, birth who, of a nation. who, you know, w on the one hand, sort of helped establish the grammar of filmmaking, mm -hmm. and on the other hand, made you know a, a pretty profoundly racist film in the mm -hmm. birth birth of a nation. Mm -hmm. um, what what are your thoughts on that film? Well, in, in, in well, uh, well, in in in, in virtually a year's time, I mean, we're coming to the end of this year, but in two thousand and fifteen, it'll be the centenary of a birth of a nation. It'll be hundred years old. I mean, that movie, you know, got a lot of people killed. I mean, that movie is propaganda. For me, that movie is in this. You know, one must speak of it in the same breath, breath as Triumph of the Will, uh, the Denny Riefenstahl movie. We have to talk about the movie in the same breath. Um, you know, people say that's the, that's the you know, sort of amazing, that's the documentary, and how documentary should be made, and how it should be similar to um, W. G. Griffiths and the Birth of a Nation, the film grammar, editing, cutting, and so forth, and, and, and whatnot. Um, you know, but I. I hear a lot of times these, these these great filmmakers talking about that, but seeming to sort of erase the consequences of that film. It was a resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan, and uh, you know, hundreds of people or more were killed before, because of that. Jim Crow and so forth. So um, yeah, it's 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 problematic. I'll, I'll say. 
Change the subject slightly. Are you a fan of Buster Keaton? Very much, yes. Because I, I, I read that you have made a film which recreates the falling house gag from uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. Yes, yeah, an artwork called Deadpan, yeah. Which is no small matter. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I was in. we did it in Pinewood. Um, I did it uh, a while ago now. It's 97, so obviously a long time ago. Um, and it was great. It, we, we reconstructed a house with a, with a false front. Um, and <laughs> it was a two-story house. It was pretty large. Uh, and what it was was that we did a test, and we put this sort of um, this um, sort of mannequin, sort of dummy, where I was going to stand. Yeah. And it was obviously the, the window was quite narrow, but it was just to test it, make sure if it falls correctly. And the guy says, "It's fine. It's sort of a hinge. That's going to happen. It's all good." So we did the test. Front of the house comes down, and the mannequin shoots off like a fucking rocket in the air, like you know, because of the wind pressure. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, wow. You're next, Steve. Get in there. It's all right, mate. It's all right. It's just, it's just it's light in it. It's just gonna blow off. Like, oh, okay. Um, so it was great. No, it was wonderful. It was just one of those. Um, yeah, it was just one of those things really that I wanted to do. Yeah. Was that scary to, to actually? Uh, at first, yes, but after a while, I mean, it was like uh, going back to your corner uh, uh, after every round of a boxing match. The, the, the stuntman would say, "Well, Steve, we're doing it again. All right, <laughs> uh, don't forget. If anything happens, can't you know, and all that kind of, uh, 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 you know, you're not lingo. tempted to make your next project a remake of the General with you in the leading role. No, but I'd I like to do a, 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 a comedy. Yeah, one day. Okay, all right, I'd like to see that. I'm curious uh, if you saw Django Unchained and what your mm-hmm. thoughts on that film were. Yeah, I saw, I saw Django Untrained. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, it, it is what it is. It's 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 a, it's a sort of. Um, I, I suppose you're asking me in comparison to 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 Twelve Years a Slave. I imagine. No, coming at the subject matter, not a sort of direct comparison between okay. the two well, films. Yeah, it's, it's 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 another way of looking at it, of, of that particular t- uh, history. Um, and um, what I, what, I, what I was fascinated by was the sort of you know how one could treat that particular subject. I mean, you could do you could go, you know you could go, you could do um, adventure comedy. Or to some extent, a thriller, as, as I think Django is, or you could do other other things. I mean, I think there's no, you know, right or wrong way of looking at that particular subject matter. Um, and yeah, you know. And finally, we have to let you go, but uh, mm-hmm. you're developing an HBO drama. Yes, yes, I am. Can you say anything about that? And do you have a favourite HBO show? Well, you can read it online what, 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 they, what they think it's about, but I was caught with, 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 with knickers down because, you know, I was flipping, you know, developing this and they got leaked. So I'm sort of half-dressed right now, so allow me to <laughs> put my pants on and sort of, uh, sure. you know, put my shoes on and I'll, 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 be, I'll be, you'll be the first to know. Fair enough. Can you answer the second <laughs> bit of the question? What was that? Sorry. Uh, do you have a favourite HBO show? Oh, oh God. yeah, I, mean, I do. Uh, the Wire, I mean, The Wire saved my life, I think. I, was, I, was a bit, I had a bit of a funk going on in my life. Like, oh, God. And I thought The Wire was just like, what woke me up. Yeah. Why was fantastic. I mean, so many. I mean, what was it? Why was what else is there? Oh, um, of course, HBO. They go to AMC now. Switch for Twitch channels. <laughs> oh, the the, 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 the um, what was it? Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Isn't that amazing? It's unbelievable. Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. Blimey. I mean, it's uh, you know the, the wonderful thing that used to happen during sort of the year is when you get that box set. You yeah. know, I mean, of course, now you get on. You can, you can do. You know, we, we have Netflix now in the UK. We are we are now developed human beings. But before that, I mean, the box sets and then getting those DVDs, and you know, sometimes you're just gorge on them. But you, it'd be terrible. Then I'm only going to watch like okay, I'll watch two because I'll you know I won't watch one. I know seasons. And then it's like four o'clock in the bloody morning. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Did you, know, you have a special night to watch the finale? Did you get people? Uh, you together? know what? Don't tell me. Oh, I, you haven't I, seen it. I haven't seen the last oh, six no. episodes. 
Yeah, the final. Don't, don't yeah. tell. I beg you not to tell me. <laughs> we no, won't. No, I don't know. I don't, I'm saving it. It's like you know. I. I it's like John Cassavetes. Um, I haven't. I've watched all these films. I watched all these films in cinema when they, we did. There was a. What was it? There was a. There was a reaction of his films in '89. Uh, um, in the ICA in London because I think what happened is that 88 or 89 they released all these films on the Champs-Élysées and the ICA uh, um, sort of brought the films over to the huge retro- John Cassavetes retrospective I don't know if obviously maybe you're, you're, you're too young you wasn't there what was wonderful about that was that I never knew who fucking John excuse me I'm no, you can swear. You apologize, can swear. Um, who John Cassavetes was so to have that whole breadth of that man's films was just amazing you know it was just incredible I mean to see uh, 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 what was it uh, someone's work over so many years but in one go I don't know who this person is had no idea and it's so brilliant which is amazing so there was one film that I haven't seen of his because I didn't want that sort of love affair to sort of end <laughs> so, so I haven't seen Love Streams you're keeping that back so that's you the haven't... last one with the, yeah, Gina Rollins I'm not, I haven't seen it yet so maybe one day when I'm sort yeah. of blue as I was before I was uh, 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 before I saw The Wire maybe I just I'll Somehow see it in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, Steve McQueen, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's finish up with uh, the big news. Uh, a look at what's on in the cinemas this week. Let's start, given that we've talked about it quite a bit already, with 12 Years a Slave. Well, 12 Years a Slave. It is probably the most powerful film I've seen in the last year by quite a long way. It kind of smacks you out of your seat slightly. I have to say I can I adored this film. It blew me away. Um I guess what's interesting about it is that as as we mentioned in the interview with Steve McQueen that the the, the providence of the story his wife had read this book by Solomon North, Northup who is a free man and 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 sort of a well-educated and uh, well-traveled man um black man in the north of America um who gets basically kidnapped and taken to the southern states for 12 years and 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 is kind of suffers all kinds of uh t- torment uh, of being separated from his family and and humiliation because he passes through the hands of a variety of slave owners played by Benedict Cumberbatch in the first instance and he finally ends up in the hands of this brutal man Epps played brilliantly by Michael Fassbender Um, and Chiwetel who plays Solomon Northup um, conveys the just not just his suffering but I think the whole the whole kind of um, degradation of slavery in a way that I've never seen before on on the big screen. There have been films that have kind of come at slavery sideways. Uh, Birth of a Nation, which I think we also talked about in in the interview, is a is a horribly racist film in a lot of ways. Um, technically amazing, but horribly racist. And Quentin Tarantino came in at, came at it sideways, obviously with um, with Django. But this this kind of tackles it pretty much for the first time, I think, really head on. Yeah. Not just in terms of how it approaches the story, but in the way that it structures some of the shots. It just leaves you with these moments. Um, there's one particular scene, which I don't think I'm ever going to shake, which is when Chiwetel's character, Solomon, is is, is left basically semi-garroted from a tree. Um, and he's just left there, and the camera just stays on it, and stays on it, and stays on it, beyond the point where you know anyone else would have cut. And um, Steve McQueen just wants you to kind of be in this world and there are people walking around in the background of that shot as if as if nothing out of the ordinary is happening. nothing out of the ordinary yeah. is happening yeah. which is what which is why this film is so remarkable because everything it shows that's remarkable is also so mundane and, and accepted and commonplace and the moments of of kindness that he experiences from benedict cumberbatch's character he gives him a violin and then he says and then he says i hope this gives us both very much pleasure and you're like well you know talk about a backhanded gesture he's yeah. basically you know just 
if anything, kind of enshrining his his servitude. He's going to have to play the violin to this man forever. Um, but the performances are stunning. It's also worth mentioning. I mean, we mentioned Fassbender there, who's who's ex- extremely brilliant um, at, at adding. You know, like like Ray Fiennes does in in Chinna's List, he adds just enough humanity to this character to make him to make him believable. Um, also, newcomer Lupita Nyong'o, we're going to see in Nonstop alongside Liam Neeson quite soon. But this is her first role. Um, she auditioned and and uh, and again, rightfully a BAFTA nominee. We rightfully should say. a BAFTA nominee, really fantastic as um, Patsy, another you know real life character um, who is who you know on the same plantation and has this interesting kind of fragile relationship with uh, with Solomon mm. um, I I and I know yeah Nick, I mean you you felt the same way yeah it's it's chilling in the way it shows how the system works and almost more scary than Michael Fassbender who's a bit of a raving psycho is the Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. character who's who's much more likable and and a decent man but he's going along with the the, the horror and the evils of all this stuff I think that's what's really interesting about the film is that it doesn't give you any out. I mean, it, it, it you know it shows that uh, men who were considered good by the standards of the time, like Cumberbatch, who is you know minister and, and is you know reading the Bible to his slaves, but is also using the Bible to justify slavery. And everyone uses the Bible to justify slavery in the film, mm. and it, it it's really chilling in that regard. And I also think that the decision to to tell a story about slavery by focusing on a free man kidnapped and sold into slavery takes away any tendency or any any um, attempt that the audience might make to distance themselves from the story. You, you, you know, there is no way that anyone can go into this saying, oh, well, that was the only life that they knew. So, you know, maybe they didn't suffer as much for it as, 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 a, as another person would. You cannot in any way, there is no way out for the audience in this story. And I think it really throws you into the middle of this and forces you to confront what it would be like to, to have your freedom taken away. Because to be honest, to, to me, the scariest parts weren't the, the physical, you know, um, brutality. They were the sort of the emotional, mental brutality of the scenes where he realises there's no escape. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, I keep coming back to Shinna's List and it's it's dangerous comparison because there's controversy over people comparing the Holocaust with slavery. But but if you think about the red, the girl in the red dress and that Spielberg uses as a device to kind of bring you into that particular world, and you're right, the, 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 Solomon's character is really interesting as, as a kind of conduit for us mm. to go into what is kind of a ring-fenced kind of environment, I guess. And there, there, there is a, a moment when he really just stares into the camera and you just feel so kind of like implicated and, and involved in what he's going through and, and his performance has got this amazing stillness I'd also like to um, to sort of give due props to Sean Bobbitt the cinematographer who I think with McQueen they, they, they looked at a lot of old silhouette paintings um, took inspiration from a lot of artwork rather than films um, to, to kind of create these beautiful sort of um, you know plantation feasters I guess yeah it is beautifully shot if it does have a weakness I think that maybe it loses focus in the third act a little bit and I think the fact the story takes place over 12 years sometimes it doesn't really feel like that much time is going by and it gets a little bit diluted and it wraps up a little bit too neatly for me anyway I thought that the way it finished was felt a little bit too quick Who's Brad Pitt in this uh, movie? Well, he's uh, in Italy. Not to, he's not the to, hero. <laughs> not to give, not to give. Yeah, controversially, in Italy, they promoted the film with with uh, a big poster of Brad Pitt, who is not in the film very much. He's in it for about ten minutes. He's in it for about ten minutes, and that's part of. I, I don't want to go into to what his function is in the film, but that's part of the. He sort of comes out of nowhere and saves the day in a way. Okay, mm. that's 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 interesting. Everybody is good in this film. Poor Dan Osworth. 
worth yeah. uh, worth mentioning. And your old friend Paul Giamatti does a great job. Uh, and Sarah Paulson, who plays um, Epps's, Epps's sort of long-suffering and equally, in many ways, horrific wife. But you're right, going back to what you were saying, I think Cumberbatch's character, he's the guy that makes the system work. And so in a way, he's, you know, and these are sort of questions that the film raises. Yeah. Uh, if everyone's like Fassbender's character, this isn't going to last, obviously, as long as it did. Um, but I, I, it was really, really powerful, and I really recommend it. We gave it four stars. Yeah. It's a very high four stars for me, if not four five. Stars. I might have gone higher. Yeah. I would have I would have gone higher. I might have gone higher too, but Okay, that's Twelve Years a Slave. Absolutely stunning stuff. Um, do see it. Uh, moving on, we have the Vince Vaughan vehicle Delivery Man, in which his slacker is told that he's the father of five hundred and thirty three children, thanks to a mix up at the sperm bank. Ali, tell us more. Hey, as it's Parks and Rec edition, let's give shout outs to his co star Chris Pratt. What, what? Playing Bert Macklin, FBI investigator. No, he's playing a lawyer who helps who's best mates with Vince Vaughn. Guess what? It's a Vince Vaughn movie where there's a kind of a buddy duo at the forefront. What? What amazing. Uh, Vince Vaughn, here's a shocker, is 43 years old. Does that make you feel old? No, I'm okay with Not that. Not really. You're right, okay. Anyway, so he plays this guy. He's a bit of a slack. He works with his uh, the rest of his Polish family in this meat charcuterie. He's a butcher of a sort, but he's the guy who delivers the meat in his van, which is why it's such a great joke that this is a Vince Vaughn vehicle. Anyway, so he drives around living his life and he gets visited by the ghost of Christmas, no, just some lawyer, who is representing a group of 533 children who are filing a civil action suit case thing. Helen, you'll fix it for me in post uh, with your lawyer powers, saying, hi, we are the kids who have been blessed by your sperm and have made us who we are. Could you please say hello to us and, and get to know us? And Vince Vaughan has no knowledge that he has 533 kids. He, as far as he's concerned, made a bit of money when he needed it by depositing his seed into an appropriately sized cup hey everyone's smiling uh so yeah it's a shocker for him he's he's totally blown away and the story is him getting this information he has a big wad of files with everyone's name on it and trying to help them out but he doesn't want to reveal that he's the dad he wants to help them and do well he's tempted to join their lives but he doesn't want to because he feels like it would mess him up anyway so he meets all these kids they're a lovely little uh, segments where he meets a different kid and helps them in a different way and or can't help them or can help them and it's a chance to see young acting talent bizarrely just do their thing and there's a guy uh, I forget his name but the guy who's going to be in Transformers 4 uh, Jack Rayner Jack Rayner plays one of the characters so it's interesting to see him but the most fun stuff between him and Chris Pratt Chris Pratt is a bit of a rubbish lawyer but he uh, tries his best to help him defend himself anyway I'm making a meal of this Long and the short of it is, this is a story uh, that was originally made in uh, French Canada by Ken Scott, who remakes his own film, so it's a curious twist there. Uh, the writer-director, who makes it for an American audience, didn't do that well in the US, which I think is a shame, because it's got Kobe Smulders in it, and she's so pretty. And also she's great in this film. Plays Vince Vaughn's kind of beleaguered girlfriend, on-off girlfriend. I thought it was sweet. I thought it was funny. Uh, it's the most likeable Vince Vaughn comedy I've seen in ages. And... If it's on TV again anytime soon, I'll certainly watch it. What's the funniest bit? The funniest bit is, it's a bit of a spoiler, but in the law, the law part comes to a head, uh, you know, with the kids coming together uh, and trying to battle him. And the funniest bit is probably Chris Pratt um, doing something absolutely outstanding uh, while speaking to the assembled courtroom. And I can't reveal what it is because it is, it's boneheaded, let's say that. Um, is there a bit where Vince Vaughan realises the error of his ways? Kind of, also not. It's it's pretty formulaic, but not so formulaic. 
there is a trouble perhaps with 533 kids it's difficult to really get a grasp on each character of every single child but they do a decent job and the original film is that Starbuck. That's that right. Called? Okay. So, um, have you seen that? Do you know if it's better or worse? Uh, no, I don't. But I, I, I do know that it's uh, the unofficial spin-off from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> it's called Starbuck because that's his mystery name when he's donating the sperm, isn't it? Is that Which right? Which is still the case in this remake. Right. But his, his nickname was Starbuck, and it's known as the Starbuck case. Ah, isn't that nice? Okay. So that got three stars. Correct. correct happy yes. days mm. alright so that is a recommendation um, there is another man this week yeah, that, that is the railway man in which Colin Firth Nicole Kidman Jeremy Irvine and Stellan Skarsgård act their little socks off in a story that's split between uh, World War 2 the Far East um, where young Jeremy Irvine Eric Lomax is taken prisoner by the Japanese and then sort of 35 years later where Colin Firth is having trouble dealing with the the fallout from that um, just after he gets married to uh, his new wife who's played by Nicole Kidman. Mm. Phil, tell us more. Okay. I was thinking about this and we don't have that many movies in this country about about the sort of the aftermath of wars. I mean, the recent ones in Iraq, there's been a spate of kind of thrillery type things and people coming back and, you know, you know, like Watson in in Sherlock. Um, We don't have too many of the kind of post-traumatic, you know, America has Vietnam and that produced so many great films, Deer Hunter, Taxi Driver to an extent, Coming Home. There's so many, Born on the Fourth of July. This is should be kind of in that sort of terrain because it's a film about post-traumatic stress. A lot of people have read and loved Eric Lomax's memoir um, on on which the film takes its name about his experiences basically on the the Burma Railway, the Bridge on the River Kwai. Bridge on the River Kwai. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if you don't know the story, uh, when Singapore fell, the British Army surrendered and they were put to work in, you know, essentially 12 years a slave, I guess, you know, in slave slave labour, building this this railway in, in incredibly tough conditions and this is a film about kind of a film about reconciliation and about about post-traumatic stress and about a man who's belatedly coming to terms with what he went through Mm. Colin Firth plays Eric Lomax old Jeremy Irvin does a really good job of playing him young and kind of capturing the you know Firthiness Firthiness exactly (laughs) I I would agree with that I think people had written off Jeremy Irvin after Warhorse. I mean, he's good in Warhorse, but I think the film just left people a little bit cold and they kind of dismissed him. And uh, and, and he's really good in this, and I hope this will give him a bit of a boost. He is really good. And I wonder if there was a, probably wasn't a discussion where it was like, am I going to imitate you or are you going to imitate me? But um, he does a good job of doing the furthiness, and he does say a lot how much he likes railways. Um, but he is the guy that in the camp builds a radio and he has all the technical wazoo to keep them keep the prison morale up and consequently makes himself vulnerable to the, the, the psychotic guard who eventually becomes the guy that he needs to track down. That's not a spoiler. Um, that's in the, the film, trailer. That's in the trailer. That's all there. Um, but it's split, it's split over two timelines, and I think it's kind of confounded by its own structure. I think it, it doesn't really do justice particularly to either. There's a Nicole Kidman um, and Stellan Skarsgård dimension in Berwick, she plays the woman who falls in love with him and Stellan Skarsgård is his ex-comrade-in-arms. Um, it just didn't really do an awful lot for me, to be honest. And I felt that maybe, you know, it was slightly mundane in the way that it was directed and um, the emotional payoff wasn't great and it almost felt rushed at the end as well. Like it was trying to cram too many I would agree with that. I mean, in. given that they've, they've set up in the trailer that this is a story where he meets... The, you know, 35 years on, he meets the man who was responsible for his ill treatment during the war. 
and there's some sort of reconciliation there. I mean, that's all set up in the trailer. That was set up in the synopsis. Mm. That was set up in, in everything that we know about this film. And it takes them like an hour and a half to get there. Yeah. Um, and, and that means that for the whole hour and a half before that, you're kind of, you know, watching the clock go, like, Railways, let's eh? get to the meat of this. Come on, guys. And I, I think that's a, a massive, massive error in terms of structure. I think if they'd started off with this guy in the Far East meeting someone else and being very hostile to him and you don't know why that would hook you in that would get you into the film and then you could maybe you know explain where they were how they got to that point but but the structure for me was completely off in this because it starts off with the love story between him and his wife which clearly is a catalyst and is a a very important part of Eric Lomax's story but it's not what we've been sold this film on and it really it really kind of just halted things in quicksand for No, me. I think it, it liked this idea that it was going to do a sort of a mini-brief encounter at the beginning of the film. And But they could have shared that. I know they, they want to be faithful to Lomax's story, but that's not what this film is about, really. Mm. You know, she helps him on this journey, but really it's the journey you want to see. And, you, you know, I didn't really get the sense of what went on between him and this Japanese guard in enough detail. You didn't see enough of it, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, we gave it two stars, and I'd probably go along with that. You know, it's a little ponderous. Can I double check something? Are you saying that the railway man is carrying a lot of baggage? Oh, God. Yes. (laughs) Too soon. Too What? I think I think if you're I think to be honest if you're interested in this story I mean while there are good performances in this film if you're interested in this story the way to do it is probably read the book. Read the book. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Read the book. Uh I think it would have made a good um, you know miniseries potentially. Yeah, it could have been I think. Uh, But that only got two stars from us. Also out this week is One Life on the Limit, which is a documentary about Formula One, which is narrated by Michael Fassbender, him again. Uh, Also out this week, we have uh, Kiss the Water, which got three stars, and After Tiller, which also got three stars. Um, And that's it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, when we'll be talking to the lovely James Purefoy and the equally lovely Juliette Lewis. Uh, You may also want to stay tuned for a moment after this, where Ali will have some special messages for you. Until then, it's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. Goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. And it's farewell from me. I'm off to... Do some stuff. Yay. All right. Yay. Whee. Whoop, whoop. <laughs>